following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. We can turn to 1 Peter 3. Well, what a blessing it is to rejoice over the, the children God gives and, and uh, see everyone in their get-ups and, and uh, as well, I'm thankful for all our ladies and and it's good to acknowledge as well, I, I haven't yet, you know, those that I'm sure many of you are grieving today, you're missing a mom or maybe missing a daughter or a wife. Uh, maybe you wish you were a mom and you're not, you know, and so there are all sorts of different ways that Mother's Day is not necessarily for everyone, uh, just a happy day, uh, but reasons that we grieve on Mother's Day as well. And, uh, and so I want to uh, just acknowledge that and... Um, Trust in the Lord and praise the Lord for the grace that He gives uh, through every challenge. And, um, and so I was talking with another, another pastor across town just yesterday at Little League game about that. His mom passed away uh, just a few weeks ago, and, and, um, and so it's a different day for him. And, and so we want to keep, keep those uh, situations in mind as well. Well, um, so we're not going to be in Romans today, of course, because today is Mother's Day. And I'm not actually primarily going to talk about mothering either this morning, uh, though what I have to say is very significant for for parents of boys and girls, but especially uh, parents of girls. Now instead, what I want to talk about today is I want to discuss God's perfect original vision for feminine flourishing. How do women do best? And, and, And God's vision... Is, is very important, right? Be, because God made us. And God knows us down to our most basic intuitions and desires. And so if anyone knows how women and men and all of us are going to thrive the best, it is the Lord. He knows better than anyone else. And, and, and yet, well, while God knows what is best, the reality is, is that girls in our modern day are not thriving. Uh, just in February of this year, the CDC re- re- uh, produced, uh, put out a, a massive and, and very troubling report on the mental health of adolescents in the United States. And, uh, and, and one of the key findings they highlighted in the press release for this huge report, and the one that grabbed a number of national headlines was this. Teen girls are experiencing record high levels of violence sadness, and suicide risk. And the statistics are startling. So, so the report says that nearly three in five, or, or exactly 57% of U.S. teen girls felt persistently sad or hopeless in 2021. That's the year uh, that they used uh, to collect this data. Three in five. And, and double that of boys, representing a nearly 60% increase since 2011. So in 10 years, the rise of these problems among teenage girls has gone up 60%. That's incredible. As well, they highlight the fact that one in, or excuse me, nearly one in three, 30%, seriously considered attempting suicide. Again, up nearly 60% from just 10 years prior. As well, one in five, or 18%, experienced sexual violence in the past year. Not in their lives, but in the past year up 20% since 2017 when they first began collecting that, that data. 
Now, those are tragic numbers to think about. That, that the statistics say over half of teenage girls are saying that they are depressed or persistently sad. Think about that. And we should grieve, and everyone among us ought to want to see those trends changed. But of course, if we're going to see those trends change, we have to have real solutions. What's the answer? And so it's fascinating that, that, that in this report, uh, the, the one solution, the one source of hope that they found for solving this was in the school system. And so the report says, safe and trusted adults like mentors, trained teachers, and staff can help foster school connectedness so that teens know the people around them care about them, their well-being and their success. Schools can provide education that equips teens with essential skills such as understanding and ensuring true sexual consent, managing emotions, and asking what they need. Now, I want to be clear that teachers oftentimes have a massive impact on young people, and so I certainly don't want to diminish the significance that teachers play. But, but it is almost comical, comical, that of all the solutions that they could highlight, of all the hopes that we have, that the one place they turn is to the school system. Not to families, not to churches, and all sorts of other things. And of course, they refuse to acknowledge the parallels between those trends and our culture's growing hostility towards a biblical view of manhood and womanhood. And, and, and so you can see in our, in our culture that, I mean, as if adolescents weren't hard enough. You know, girls today have to be sexy. And they have to show it off on Instagram. They have to decide if they are girls or not. And they have to make a whole host of other choices come up with all sorts of other answers to identity questions that, that most girls, the vast majority in human history, never even had to consider. I mean, the pressure on young ladies in our culture is insane. And, 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 and our culture, of course, sells it as fun and liberating, that you get to just choose who you are and make up your identity and be whatever you want to be. But the reality is, is that it creates overwhelming pressure. And the statistics say very clearly that it is not freeing girls to be happy and satisfied and content. It is crushing them. And it's not just young ladies. Our, our culture pressures every woman to create a sexy, brash identity that demands attention from everyone. Our culture teaches parents that you need to encourage your children to explore their sexuality from, from basically infancy. And all that, of course, as well shapes how men and boys value women and what they expect out of a relationship. And the statistics are clear that all of it is not helping people. It is increasing levels of depression, loneliness, violence, and abuse. So we desperately need to hear, not from our culture, but from our maker, about how women can flourish. And even if you know that well, our culture is always pushing on us, so we need to all make sure that we keep anchored in what the Bible says. And the two verses I want to look at this morning are crucial to this. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. God says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Those two verses are packed with timeless biblical wisdom. And notice that Peter's concern is with a passion that that most women share, and that is a desire for captivating beauty. So so verse 3 says that this passage is about a woman's adornment, her appearance, her presentation. Now, now yes, there's there's many exceptions, but but generally speaking, girls have have a much stronger desire for beauty and style than than us guys. And, And we live with that in our house every day. You know, my boys, they want to be comfortable, and, and sometimes they care to be cool. You know, but if we go to a department store, they, they really don't care what's on the racks, except for the fact that they can hide behind them. You know, but our daughter is very different. She cares about style. She cares about color. She cares about clothes. She wants to be beautiful. And that's a good thing, right? Beauty, creativity, and color are all good gifts of God, and they all reflect His glory. Our God is a beautiful God. But sin and Satan easily twist these good gifts of God into very destructive and rebellious passions. And it seems that very likely some of that was happening there among Peter's readers. And the occasion, according to verse 1 of this charge, is that some of the women in the church were in mixed marriages, meaning they were married to unbelieving men. Uh, Probably, uh, these are women who had got married when they were young, and then after they got married, they became Christians. And it was creating a very difficult situation for them. Because Greco-Roman women did not have the same rights and freedoms uh, that women have today. In fact, uh, here's a quote from Plutarch. He was a Greek historian a writing as a contemporary of Peter. And notice what he says about women, about religion, and about marriage. He says, A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships and to shut the door to superstitious cults and strange superstitions. Now, you can see how that would create a real issue for a Christian woman who is married to a pagan man. And therefore, notice the challenge he gives in verses 1 and 2. He says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So although uh, life was very challenging for these ladies, Peter says, do not rebel against God's design. No, instead, trust the Lord and win your husband by your godly life and by your consistent Christian testimony. And I think verses 3 and 4 imply uh, that, that Peter was also concerned that they might try to manipulate their husbands with their appearance. Or might use their appearance not just to manipulate their husbands, but as well to maybe find favor and attention and love in other places. Since I'm guessing that some of these ladies were not getting much of that at all from their husbands. And they were trying to do that with a flashy show of beauty. Now, I recognize that for probably just about every lady in this room, your situation might be very different. But you probably still feel the tug that Peter mentions. 
there's a desire to grab attention. Whether it's from your husband, whether it's from other men, maybe more likely even from other women, that you want to be beautiful and stylish. So, so consider, what do you want to be known for? And what stands out about you when people first meet you? And even more important than that, what stands out about you as they truly get to know you? If someone was going to describe you in one word, or a phrase, or a statement, what would it be? What adorns your life? And guys, let's not pretend like we're just immune to all this entirely. Like, hey, God, pastor's going after the women today. I can sit back and you know, kind of give my wife a, a, an elbow once in a while. You, know, you may not care what you look like a whole lot, but the reality is most guys, to some extent, care about their image. They want to be known as tough, or strong, or athletic, or mechanical, or intelligent, or that you fit in with some group out there. And we all have to be very weary of the pride of life which dwells deep inside us all. And we need to ask, what kind of identity am I trying to cultivate? How do I want to be known? Does Instagram or some other worldly peer group cultivate or drive what you are trying to be and present yourself as? Or does the Bible shape the priorities of your life? and the testimony that you're trying to convey to others? Those are really crucial questions that every one of us needs to ask. And so as we look at this passage, we see that God understands us. He knows that Satan can easily abuse a woman's passion for her adornment, her desire for captivating beauty. And so he responds by prohibiting one focus and by commending another. So first, verse 3 condemns The temptation to grab attention. The temptation to grab attention. So again, verse 3 says, Your adornment must not be merely external. Braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Now, now the more obvious contrast between verses 3 and 4 is between a focus on externals versus a focus on internals. And that's clearly important. That God is more concerned about what's inside than outside. But verse 4 indicates that Peter is even more concerned about chasing status and attention versus chasing godliness and letting God take care of all that other stuff. And that's so important because when we think of something like modesty, and obviously you're probably wondering, well, where are we going to get to modesty discussions in in a passage like this? When we think about something like modesty, we often immediately jump to how much skin is showing and how tight the clothes are. But but immodesty is first a heart attitude. It's a heart attitude that is focused on demanding attention and on glorifying myself instead of glorifying the Lord. So you can wear a potato sack and have an immodest heart. And it's going to show in some way. And And so that is Peter's concern. And I think it's as well, you know, just to think about this issue of immodesty, you know, when Solomon warns his son in Proverbs about the wrong kind of woman, he doesn't just focus on her appearance. He focuses on her spirit. So, so keep your finger here and turn back to Proverbs chapter 5. I want to read a couple of, of, of Solomon's warnings here and, and with maybe a little bit different lens than we normally do. 
Proverbs chapter 5. And let's think about the, the type of woman that, that Solomon is concerned about in relationship to his son. So he says in Proverbs chapter 5, I want to read verses 3 and 4. He says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So he doesn't just warn his son about her appearance. He warns her, warns him about her seductive spirit and her speech. And then turn over to chapter 7, and I want to read verses 6 through 13. This is a little bit longer, but, but notice again uh, what, what Solomon's concern here is in Proverbs 7, beginning in verse 6. He tells the story. He says, For at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face she says to him, and then he goes on, uh, to, to talk about what the speech that she gives. You know, I think what's so interesting here is that Solomon is more concerned about this woman's spirit than he is necessarily about her appearance. And Peter shares the same concern, that an immodest heart is, is a much bigger deal ultimately than even a modest dress. Though, though I have to say that, that a modest heart, of course, then needs to lead to modest dress. And so, back in 1 Peter chapter 3, he, he warns the Christian woman to, to be very careful to, to not grab attention and status with her dress and her appearance. And, and he mentions that in a couple of ways. So, first of all, he mentions braiding of hair. Now, now when he mentions braiding hair here, he's not talking about you know, pigtails or Something that we do with little girls. No, he's talking here about very fancy hairstyles that would have been common in their day among rich women. And then he mentions gold or fine jewelry. There's probably never been a culture where, where women didn't love to have gold and fine jewelry. And then he mentions putting on dresses. And I think he's specifically thinking here of elaborate and showy clothing that grabs attention. Now, ladies, I'll put you at ease right now and say that, that Peter is not saying that, that a woman can never have any of these things, a nice hairstyle, nice jewelry, or, or nice clothes. You know, because, for example, this book of Song of Solomon praises these things and mentions these things a number of times as good. So, so the primary issue is not nice hair, nice clothes, nice jewelry. The issue is the heart behind them. I think it's also worth just clarifying that the answer to verse 3 is not to become messy or necessarily to be a plain Jane. God is orderly and everything God does is excellent and God loves beauty. We, we see that in the creation that He has made. So, so you don't honor the Lord by neglecting your appearance or your health or, or just being a mess. No, true beauty 
reflects the glory of God. And I, and I want to make that very clear. So, so I think just as an application here, you know, I think men, that means that you should give your wife space and give her resources to be beautiful. You know, sometimes we can be so cheap and so practical. And, you know, like I told you I loved you. Of course you're wonderful. You don't need to buy all that stuff. And we can end up squelching good desires in our wives and maybe create temptations for her that, that are not necessary. So, so make sure that you foster godly and responsible desires in your wife and, and be sure to complement those efforts. That's important. So, so Peter here is not condemning beauty. No, instead, he's condemning a vain value system that worships beauty and uses it not to honor the Lord, but to honor myself, to bring me glory, to, to, to attract all the attention to me. And we know the difference, right? We, we know people. You know, don't look around this room if you know someone. You know, don't, we know people. We interact with people, and we definitely see people on TV all the time who worship their appearance. You know, when they walk in the room, they carry themselves, they've got it on their face that they want you to know they are there and they want you to see them. And everything they do is about bringing attention to themselves. They are proud and defiant. They want to make a show of themselves, not honor the Lord and love other people. And that's primarily what Peter is condemning, this immodest heart attitude. He challenges every Christian woman to be very careful not to become a slave of the fashion game. And Proverbs also warns about just how vain it is to go down that route. You know, I think every teenager, boy and girl, ought to memorize Proverbs 11, verse 22. It says, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Now, I grew up on a hog farm. And trust me when I say that a pig's snout is disgusting. And they will stick them anywhere. They will eat anything. I could tell you stories afterwards. They are dirty, disgusting, smelly, and vile. And, 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 and so what Peter, Solomon says is that disgusting mouth of a hog ruins the appeal of the gold ring. I mean, you know, if you've got a pig snout, you, you stick a gold ring in a pig snout, that doesn't make the pig snout beautiful. It doesn't make you want to kiss it. It's still just as disgusting as before. And similarly, God says that physical beauty can't possibly compensate for foolishness, flightiness, and vanity. It doesn't, it doesn't match it. You know, Proverbs 31.30 adds, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So, so we need to hear what God is saying. I mean, girls, the world of Hollywood, the world of Instagram and other social media sites say that you need to highlight and you need to enhance every sexual feature that God has given you. You know, assert your power by... by, by, by demonstrating and showing your sexuality. It's proud. It's sinful. And frankly, it will destroy your soul. And God didn't make you to live under the kind of pressure where you have to impress everyone around you with how beautiful you are. That's nonsense. It's nuts. And the statistics say that it will crush you and leave you despairing and lonely. So don't buy the lies. 
And I'd say to all the young men in the room and to all of us, you know, don't, you know, that we need to learn to value what God values. You know, so, so single guys, young adults, teenagers, guys, if your goal, if your goal is to get the hottest girl you can capture on your arm someday, that is your one goal in dating and all that, then you might succeed. You might succeed. And you might feel really good about yourself and have a really good time for a very short time. But if she is just a ring of gold in a pig's snout, it probably will not last. And it will not bring you nearly the same joy as a truly godly woman. And there are a lot of married men in this room who will testify to that very fact. That godliness is worth far more. And so verse 3 warns women not to fall prey to the temptation to be defined by your physical appearance. No, rather, verse 4 challenges you to cultivate a godly heart that deserves attention. Cultivate a godly heart that deserves attention. So, so verse 4 says, and really you could, you know, there's a contrast here, so you could say, but let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. And I'd like to offer two challenges from this verse. And the first challenge is, Invest in your heart. Invest in your heart. Now now notice that there is a powerful irony in that statement. He says, let your adornment, the thing that stands out about your life, be the hidden person of the heart. And and so your most outstanding quality, the thing that, that, that everyone notices when they are around you should not be anything that's actually visible. The thing that stands out most about you is the hidden person of the heart. And that statement, there at the beginning of verse 4, is the center of verses 3 and 4. That's the command that Peter gives. And so Peter challenges wives, and, and by extension all Christian women, not to primarily invest in their physical appearance, but in their godly heart. And similarly, 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8 command all of us Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, the world says that you and your children need to be beautiful, stylish, fit, athletic, intellectual, and successful. And of course, all those things have their right place. But don't forget that God's judgment on the last day is the one that really matters. What matters is not what your friends think. What matters is not what your classmates think. What ultimately matters is not even what your family thinks. What ultimately matters is the judgment of God on the final day. And He sees your heart perfectly. He knows it well. So consider your priorities for yourself and your children if you have kids in the home. Where are you investing your time, your energy, your money, and your passion? Are you and your family disciplining yourselves to godliness? 
You know, are you focused on, on investing in character and in hearts? Or have you become distracted by all the other stuff of our world? You know, what would your children say? Your, your kids, they live with you every day. They see the real you. What would they say is our mom and dad's greatest passions for us? Based on how you live. Based on what gets you fired up. And understand that nothing will matter more in eternity than godliness. So, so, so don't waste the time you have. Invest in godliness. And then the second challenge that Peter gives here in verse 4 is to cultivate meekness. Cultivate meekness. So, so Peter says that instead of trying to put on an outward show that demands attention, godly women instead cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. Now that is very fascinating language that, that demands our attention. But because it's true that, that everyone, right, everyone should be humble and everyone should be gentle. I mean, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, right? And, and yet both of these qualities, gentleness and a quiet spirit, are, are I believe, specifically the unique gifts and the unique strengths of godly femininity. I think gentleness is probably more obvious. You know, and you can see that in, in what happens when a kid gets hurt. You know, my tendency when my kids are, are whining about getting hurt is to tell them to be quiet and toughen up. That's why they go to mom when they're hurt. Because God has given mothers a, a gentleness, a manner that is very different from how most men are wired. And, and so gentleness is, is an obvious trait, a, a gift that God has especially given uh, to, to women. But, but on the other hand, the other one, a quiet spirit, is an interesting one that, that, that comes more naturally to some people than to others, right? And, and even you know, all the way back, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, what did God tell Eve? He, he told Eve that part of the curse for wives would be that they would resist their husband's authority. And we saw in Proverbs that Solomon warned his son about the boisterous woman who, who is demanding attention. And yet, godly femininity, I believe this, and I think the Scriptures bear this out, that godly femininity leans towards quietness that is in keeping with submission. Now, now I want to emphasize that, that Peter is not then saying that a godly woman just cowers in the corner. She never says anything, never does anything. Because I mean, if you look at Proverbs 31, if you look at the, the, the virtuous woman who's praised in Proverbs 31, she is a strong woman. She is motivated. She is driven. She is productive. She is getting stuff done. Not just in her home, but in the marketplace and their various places. And so women need to be tough. Women need to be thoughtful. They need to be driven. They need to have strong convictions. And they even need to be opinionated. But, but the Proverbs 31 woman is also a team player. She's, she's not a rival to her husband. No, she loves him and she supports him. And, and her energy is particularly focused in the home in a different way from an adult man. You know, a man, you know, the, the Bible would teach it, you know, that his, his, he has a, a strong focus to go out and to work and and, and to be successful that is different from the focus of, of even the Proverbs 31 woman. 
And that's a big reason why she is so valuable and why both her husband and her children praise her. And so in light of that, God commands Christian ladies to foster a gentle and quiet spirit. Now now again, that doesn't have to look the same in every woman. Just like strength in a man does not look the same for every man. And yet, by God's grace, every woman and every little girl should cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, I recognize the world says that is incredibly chauvinistic and oppressive. You know, what I just said is going to make a lot, would make a lot of people angry if they were in this room. But is it possible that our Maker God knows far better than we do what is for our good than a world that is hostile towards God's design? I mean, we, we, might, we might, I mean, a quiet spirit, how dare God say that? And how dare anyone today say that I should have a quiet spirit? Well, trust the Lord. And, and understand, if you've got a defensive attitude towards the Bible, that then maybe the problem is not with the Bible. Maybe the problem is with the influences that you are allowing to shape your heart more than you realize. God knows best how we thrive. And then understand that as you cultivate meekness in your heart, work to then reflect that meekness in your appearance and in your manner of life. Now, now again, that sounds very countercultural. Because the world tells you to use your sexuality to assert your power. Be bold. Be yourself. Demand attention. Stand out from the crowd. But the irony is that if you are bent on standing out from the crowd, you've really made yourself a slave to the crowd, right? Because you know, if you've got to stand out from the crowd, then, then what, what do you do if the crowd doesn't even notice you? If the crowd doesn't even care about you? There, there's, no, there's no joy there. There's no contentment. There's no peace in that. And as well, we need to understand that that attitude is deeply rebellious against God's authority and God's design. You didn't make yourself. God made you. And you don't own yourself. God owns you. And you will never find rest in your own ambitions. You will only find rest as you honor the Lord, as you trust His will, and as you obey Him. So so ladies in particular, but but men as well, what is your goal in in how you dress and in how you carry yourself? How you speak with others? Are you trying to to gain attention for yourself? You know, I I was a youth pastor for nine years and you ever been around teenage girls at two in the morning? You know, one talks at this level and then the next one has to talk at this level and then this level and this level. And before long, it's just a shrill noise. And that's how a lot of us can sometimes live. No offense. You know, I'm, I'm sure none of the girls in here ever did that. I've never, I've never been around any of you at two in the morning, so, so I wouldn't know. But that's how we oftentimes live. And, and, and so we have to understand, you know, are, are you trying to gain attention for yourself? Or are you trying to point attention to the Savior? who loves you and cares for you, and you want everyone to see 
him, not you. And so your goal should be that when people meet you, they aren't primarily impressed with your beauty, your sense of style, your sexuality, your wit, or your audaciousness. No, your goal should be that they see the beauty of Jesus in your life. That as John the Baptist said, you want to decrease and you want Christ to increase. You want Him to be seen in everything. And of course, that does mean that if you're going to do that, it does have to affect then your external adornment. Now, now I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to say that you need to wear a potato sack around. You know, appropriate beauty, style, and excellence, they all honor the Lord. But, but if the goal is to point people to God's transforming grace, if the goal is that people see Jesus in you, well, well let's just be blunt. It's, it's hard not to see how there's not, there wouldn't then be a conflict of interest if the way you dress just d- demands that people notice your sexual features. So, so ladies, cover them. And, and cover them generously. You know, bring people's attention to your face and to the joy of the Lord and the love of Christ that hopefully by the grace of God is radiating from you. Now, I could go on and on, and, and I'm not going to sort of open. We're going to shut the can of worms on all that. And if we open the floor to questions on modesty and dress, we could be here for hours, right? There's no way I can address every issue or answer every question. But, but I want to challenge you to recognize that, that as our world becomes increasingly hostile towards what the Bible teaches about biblical manhood and womanhood, and as the, as the world uh, just develops and, and embraces all sorts of values that are increasingly contrary to what the Scriptures teach, it is absolutely going to come out in the fashion, the address, and, and all the other things that our culture is pushing. And so if we just have the mindset that whatever's in the store has got to be good unless you can show me a chapter and verse that says it's wrong, then that is just naive and foolish. And we also need to recognize that the world has a strong current. And it is pushing on you all the time. And if you are not careful to make sure that your feet are planted in the Word of God, and you're not consistently checking your heart to make sure that your feet are still where they ought to be, then you will drift. Your values will change. Your assumptions will change. And you will, before long, not be faithful to Christ in in how you think and what you love and how you live. So so that means, then, That we need to work hard to make sure that we are standing firmly and proudly on biblical convictions and values. Because it won't happen accidentally. So so you need to live in the Word of God. I think as a church, we we need to encourage a good conversation amongst each other where, where we can talk about things, be frank about things. At times, have other people help us see our blind spots and think better about various issues. And then we just need to think constantly and be aware of how the world is pushing. Because you will drift if you're not careful. So ladies, invest in your heart more than your appearance and specifically cultivate the meekness of true biblical femininity. It is for your good. But but Peter also adds that it is also precious 
in the sight of God. I mean, it's amazing how he ends that verse. You know, I mean, think of these women. I mean, it, I mean it, it's kind of scary to think about what some of these women might have been facing. And you know, just the, the pain, the hardship of their lives. They're neglected. They're pushed aside. But even if all that happens, they are precious in the sight of God. Now, the world mocks meekness, especially in women. Because it hates God's rule. But but ladies, if you have a godly, meek heart that displays the glory of God, you may never end up on the front page of a magazine or a newspaper or anywhere else like that. No one may like your stuff on social media. But God sees. And you are precious in His sight. He smiles on you and He approves of you. And that is worth far more than the smile of the culture. So be satisfied in Him. And then men, let's make sure that we also conform our values to God's Word. So, so to the teenagers, the single guys in the room, I mean, know, you know, believe the Lord. Listen to what He says. Don't let the world tell you what you should chase after. Let God tell you. And, and husbands, if God has blessed you with this kind of woman, give thanks. Give thanks to God and give thanks to her. Praise God and praise your wife because her worth is incredibly great. Let's go, Lord, and pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, Lord, thank you for what this passage teaches, the wisdom, the truth, the grace that is all here for us in Scripture. And so, God, I pray that you would help all of us to conform our thoughts, our values, and our lives to what the Scriptures teach, and help us to be faithful to your Word. And God, I pray that you'd help those of us who are parents, that we would uh, raise our children well in this day, that, Lord, we would uh, teach well the values of Scripture, and that we would pass on that truth, and, Lord, that you would a raise up in our, in our kids not just a knowledge of the truth, but a conviction that it is true and that they want to embrace it. Lord, I pray for our young people that you would watch over them, that you would protect them from the alarming trends that we mentioned earlier. And Father, I pray that they would find their joy, their rest, their satisfaction in Christ. They would live for Him and serve Him their whole lives. God, thank you again for your word. Give us grace this week to believe it, to know it, to live it. In Jesus' name, amen.